Hello again, and here we are for episode two of Creative Blessings with Father Nico Beckers and Chris Katsakis. And today we are going to actually be talking about the Justice League, and um, actually a movie that just came out from DC Comics, as well as a well-known comic book through uh, the DC uh, universe, and uh, Father actually wrote a um, a bit about it on his recent um, entry into his blog, Christ Coffee and Comics, and uh, I think we'll start with maybe uh, let Father start off with what he uh, felt about the movie. Hello, everybody, and thank you, Chris. Nice to be back. This is a lot of fun. Um, again, thanks for having us, and thanks for putting this all together. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I didn't want to dive into the the heavy, heavy theology right away. Um, I just wanted to start by saying a little bit of maybe about the movie. And as we go forward, I would love to kind of do reviews in this format just because, uh, you know, it's hard to separate the the fan from the priest, so to speak. And, sure. uh, you know, talk about it as uh, talk about it as fans first and foremost. So let me just begin by saying I absolutely love team-ups. I, I, I've always loved uh, team stories in comics. My favorite comic growing up was the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I love the JLA, uh, the Justice League, for those who may not be familiar with uh, the comic book terminology. It was called, for most of its existence, Justice League of America, but it's gone through many iterations. Justice League International, Justice League Europe, um, Justice League Dark, I think they have mm-hmm. one nowadays, but yeah. be that as it may. Uh, for our purposes today, yeah, just um, talking about the um, the team-up that we saw on screen. So, as we know, the X-Men movies have been making a ton of money. The Avengers movies have been making a ton of money, and for good reason. I mean, they've been pretty great movies, I think, for the most part, um, by and large. And I've talked a little bit about that on my blog a little bit, too. Um, this newest entry, it's interesting, because clearly um, Marvel Studios has been going so, so well I mean, they've been making so much money hand over fist since Disney bought Marvel Comics, I think, you know, whenever it was, 2008, nine, somewhere in there, maybe earlier. I think they bought the whole um, the whole Marvel Comics property for, I think, $4 billion, if I'm not mistaken. And the movies have since gone on to gross exponentially more than that collectively. I want to say maybe 20 to $25 billion or something. Right. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm just I'm just... Pulling it out of a Wikipedia article I read a couple of months ago. But uh, so clearly, you know, it's been working. They've done several movies so far. I think they're getting close to 20 movies, if I'm not mistaken, at Marvel Studios. And they've been making money hand over fist, like I said. So um, across the street, Warner Brothers has been looking at this and they said, hey, you know, what do we have that we can rival that? What do we have that can also create that kind of money for us? So, of course, Warner Brothers has owned DC Comics since the 70s. And they said, you know, let's see if we can put that together. Um, all of the difficulties that WB has had in putting together a DC Comics universe or even a couple of movies has been very well publicized. And really, if you think about it, outside of maybe the, the first Christopher Reeve Superman movie, the first Michael Keaton Batman movie, and the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, outside of that... DC really doesn't have much of a track record with superhero movies. I just don't know if it's because they don't have comic book people working on this. It's just Hollywood people and they're taking too many liberties or there's too much of a, you know, the the, the often coined creative differences yeah. or who knows what. But be that as it may, they've uh, 
really tried to make a concerted effort in the last four or five years to put a universe together with mixed results, I think. Everybody knows. Um, I was not a big fan of Man of Steel. I think Henry Cavill is an awesome Superman, but I just think he's been wasted in, in two really mm-hmm. kind of bad movies um, it was, you know, so far. I was not a big fan of either Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman. I liked aspects of it. I did like Cavill more as... Uh, Clark Kent than I did Superman for some reason. I really enjoyed um, Russell Crowe as his father in that aspect, but I felt the beginning was a little too sci-fi, a little too... Absolutely. It didn't seem... It seemed not on target for what I felt the Kryptonian world should be. It was um, too much like Star Wars or something. Exactly. But, I um, I mean, Zack Snyder... Uh, had interesting visions. I mean, I did like the Watchmen, and I thought, but he had really good source material. Um, and I think part of what you're saying is, you know, why Warner maybe uh, is not as uh, lucky with, you know, as far as money-wise, I think they're still pulling in the money. But as, as far as the fan base, uh, you know, they really, I think, took a very dark turn. Um, I'm a big fan of Superman Returns. Not many people are. And... Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I don't know if we've ever said that, but man, I, I, other than the fact that Brandon Routh and Kate Bosworth are way too young for those movies, yeah. especially movies that are supposed to take place like five years after he's left Earth and comes back or whatever. Right, right. I honestly, I remember seeing Superman Returns in the movie theater with my wife. It was still the first year that we had met, so we were still dating at the time. We both walked out loving it. I thought it was a much, much more accurate Absolutely. vision of who Superman was. I know some people didn't like, you know, the whole take on his son and all that. I thought, I thought it was great. I thought it was Kevin Spacey was great. I thought. The oh, I loved Kevin Spacey as Luther. I thought. Oh, uh, they nailed it. it. I mean, wonderful. he he was different enough than um, Gene Hackman, but he was kind of trying to bring in elements of of his role as Lex, and um, I just thought. Ralph, really, to me, I mean, I was always a huge fan of Christopher Reeve. I mean, I, I even like George Reeves, you know, back in the day watching it as a kid. But when when I was, I was seven or eight when the first Superman came out. And I, I think I, between my brother and my fam, my father and my mother, I think I went and saw it four times. I just fell in love with it. And, you know, you look back at that movie and that whole movie still holds up. It literally is a comic book come to life. And... You know, um, Richard Donner had a really good vision, and uh, I think you know, you, you know what he did with the first two. I, I really enjoyed, um, but I think uh, Superman Returns kind of, for me, uh, caught that same feel. No question, no question. I think, and regardless of how much Christopher Reeve or Richard Donner you want to make it as. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, I know a lot of people keep referencing those, including me, just because it's a, you know, it was the it was the first real big success. But the 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 more important aspect of those movies for me was that they were very positive, they were uplifting, they were very hopeful. I think that the mistake they made with Man of Steel, and, and we've spent a lot of time talking about before Justice League. We haven't even gotten to Justice yeah. League yet, but we we will. Uh, the mistake they made with Man of Steel, though, is that I think they didn't really know how to do it, and so. As a result, they brought in, they said, well, what's a proven property that has worked for us in the past, Warner Brothers said. Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy was still underway. Actually, excuse me, I think it had ended a year before. Right. And so they brought Christopher Nolan and David Goyer in to do Man of Steel. And they had obviously worked on the, you know, on Batman Begins and on Dark Knight. And it was it was as if they were just kind of throwing, you know, 
um, the, the expression, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Um, they were a little bit hesitant, I think, to do positive, so they went dark, and it just didn't work, I didn't think. A Superman movie has to be hopeful and, um, you know, inspiring, because the character is not Batman. He right. is not angst-ridden like Wolverine, and that's right. another thing I didn't like about Man of Steel. He's not trying to find his place in the world. That's not who he is. He right. may have had that, you know, when he was a kid or something, but um, by the time he becomes Superman, he should not be conflicted about things right. all the time. So I'm not a big fan. So that's that, um, and that's what I liked about the Justice League. I felt they brought back, even his costume was brighter. They brought mm-hmm. back that humor to him, um, they, the lightness about him. Uh, he is a beacon, so to speak. He is the. Uh, I just was watching um, uh, the Robert Kirkman's Secret Life of Comics. They have now an AMC. It's a new show, and the one episode. Uh, involved the talk of uh, how Superman was created. And they basically said if it wasn't for Superman, there'd be no Marvel comics, there'd be no DC comics. He is the all-father of comics. He is the Odin that led all comic book uh, create, you know, um, characters after him. And he has, has had such a presence that you look at the Superman symbol and outside the crucifix or cross or Jewish star, the Superman symbol is the third recognizable symbol out there. So, you know, it has permeated uh, for decades and is very identifiable. No question. In fact, I even I even read, for those who may have been, you know, scandalized by hearing that it's a, it's a recognizable symbol up there with the cross, I actually read a statistic not too long ago that, that said that the McDonald's M worldwide is a more recognized symbol <laughs> than the cross. So I, uh, you know, so so there is something to be said about visuals and uh, and all that. I just thought that uh, this movie uh, overall was a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I saw it opening night with my wife and two dear friends of ours from our parish, and uh, we had we had fun. It was still you know trying to clean up the mess from the previous mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. but overall I thought that they had a really good chemistry. They had uh, a really good tone to the movie. It wasn't perfect. Um, the, the visuals. For me, the, the Snyder vision just ultimately, I think, falls a little flat when it comes to yeah. DC Comics. But overall, you know, it was still it was still a fun movie. It was still a positive movie. I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, I thought the cast was great. One thing that we really haven't talked about a whole lot, you and I, Chris, before this, is um, how um, incredibly successful the casting of Gal Gadot has been for oh, Wonder yeah. Woman. She's, you know? she's... I mean, she basically... You know, we talk about needing Superman to be this inspiration and and uh, good role model for kids and um, you know positive message for uh, for even for our faith in a lot of ways. Um, but Gal Gadot is already there. I mean, they tried to already do that with her um, in her last movie, which, quite frankly, I know it made a lot of money and everyone loved it. I I didn't think it was quite as good as everyone was saying it was, but it was still a good movie and definitely a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, think that, I, I enjoyed Wonder Woman yeah. in in parts. Uh, overall, I thought it was very much more refreshing than Batman versus Superman. Um, really? I I just and what I liked of Batman versus Superman was her. She was mm-hmm. my favorite part of Batman versus. I was like, I want to see more of her. And uh, I think Chris Pine did really well. Steve Rogers. Um, I thought the the Amazonian island and the armor and all that. I just thought yeah. they really they, they they did a great job with that. I liked that it took place in World War One uh, versus World War Two in the TV show with Linda Carter. Um, so it was interesting, and I thought you know they brought that along 
uh, more so in this movie, you found more of a back history of how the Amazonians and Atlanteans and man were all kind of intertwined at one point. Uh, so the mythology was explored more. And I think Whedon's imprint was on it with the humor. Mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. he brought that humor to Aquaman that was needed. Because, I mean, I you know, when I first visualize Aquaman, I don't see Jason Momoa. I see no. a golden-haired kind of like a Thor character, short hair, like they did in Thor Ragnarok. I mean, Chris Helmsworth could have been the Aquaman that I would have sought out. But, you know, I, I think what they what they did with him I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed Cyborg a lot. Um, I did too. And I thought, you know, they are going in the right direction. Funny enough, I thought Ben Affleck seemed like he was pushing it, like he doesn't want to be Batman as much anymore. I feel like he's he's gotten through all this back and forth with Hollywood and, you know, Batfleck and all that. I don't right. I don't know. I think I felt he forced it a little bit. But, um, yeah, Gal, I, I love The Flash, too. I'll be honest with you. I thought the the, the actor really brought another humor to the, the, the uh, Barry Allen character that's different than the TV show. So, and I think that's, you know, where it's interesting. I think Marvel's had rolled out their four phases, or three, four, you know, going into their fourth phase. Uh, I don't think Warner Brothers had a phase. They kind of just, let's just catch up as soon as we can. And now they're kind of thinking, all right, let's 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 methodically put this out and not rush this. And, you know, um, let's think things through. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, in terms of, uh, if I may uh, take a little bit of a left turn here, sure. since it is... Uh, to go a little bit more to the theology side of it, yes. you know, I wrote I wrote a rev- I wrote a review about this, um, you know, shortly after the movie came out, and in all of my reviews that I do, I try to encapsulate at least a little bit of uh, maybe you know uh, my perspective of it as an Orthodox Christian, my perspective of it as a priest, and um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about all of these movies because they always you know movies always capture the time period that they're in, they're a reflection of society today. They're also a reflection of a lot of other things like mythology and aspirations and dreams. I mean, you know, the superhero genre, it's not a stretch to say, is, you know, uh, a a young boy's wish fulfillment genre, basically. And there's nothing wrong with that because we all have little kids within us that still love this stuff. You know, I mean, it's not like just little kids are seeing these movies. I mean, and now it's it's also little girls. I mean, like you're saying Gal Gadot. I mean, you see so many Wonder Women uh, outfits out there. No doubt. No doubt. And rightfully so. They're doing a great job with her. So I just thought in terms of the the part of the movie that I wanted to focus on just in terms of our faith was, um, you know, there is something to be said about hope. And... um, you know, that was the linchpin of this movie. That was the underlying premise mm-hmm. of this movie was hope. It was absent in the beginning of the movie. And again, I mean, we'll probably put up a, we probably already put up a spoilers alert uh, sign about this, although the movie's been out for a while now. So yeah. I'm sure people have heard about it and it's not too much of a stretch to know that Superman does come back. But but the whole point was the, the first part of the movie when Superman is still absent, there's an absence of hope. When he comes back, hope re- reappears and reemerges. And then it makes, it, it's the whole shift that the movie you know kind of the movie turns on a dime at that point and and goes a different direction because of the hope and inspiration that that superman provides the 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 characters in the movie you know when i was at seminary um and i i mentioned this a little bit in my blog specifically when we were taking preaching class now going into preaching class i always thought to myself that preaching 
you know, when I was growing up, I wasn't hearing enough for my liking of specifics of the Bible as this little, as a little punk kid, I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do sermons totally differently from everybody else that I've heard. I'm going to talk about the Bible. I'm going to talk about specific descriptions, going to verses, going to all this. And then when I got the preaching class, my professor basically was saying, guys, the sermon is supposed to be ointment for people. It is supposed to provide hope for people. It is supposed to provide relief for people. It is not the place for Bible study or criticism or other kinds of things. There's ways that that we can try to present a message that persuades people to act a different way, but we're not there to quit criticize. And I remember asking, raising my hand and asking, um, you know, Father, what are we supposed to do, though? I mean, when when are we supposed to talk about the Bible? And he would say, leave Bible study for Bible study. The sermon should be like a Band-Aid. If people are coming into the church with wounds, you have to provide a message of hope is what they were saying. So he was. So we were taught, extrapolate one message from the gospel reading or the epistle reading or the saint of the day, whatever it might be, and make sure that it is uplifting, that it is positive, that it is nice, that it is good. And, you know, they taught us a model. They taught us a structure for preaching. And I still use it to this day. Totally. It felt a little weird for me at first because I sometimes I feel like it's almost like just kind of giving people, you know, kind of a pie in the sky message. But at the same time, you know, that's what Christianity is. It is, you know, um, something that's supposed to be positive and uplifting and a relief for people. So to me, you know, um, I've, I've always tried to do that in my sermons is to give a positive message, a positive inspirational message so that people come in and they leave feeling good and they leave feeling ready to tackle the week. Um, obviously, that's not the only reason we come to church to hear the sermon. Obviously, we have communion and, you know, you have to go to church for communion. You can't just stay home and watch it on TV in Greece or something, as I've heard some people, some older folks say that they do. Hmm. Um, but, you know, we, and we go there, we go to pray, we go to pray with others. But part of what they told us is that you go. So, I mean, the people go because they want to hear a good message. They want to hear a good message. So, um, you know, and, and also, by the way, that better preaching equals better attendance. And, you know, I, I'd like to believe that, you know, that that is uh, something that I'm trying to commit to. So for, for someone who's now been preaching, you know, in church for the last, you know, five, six years. Actually, no, I, I gave sermons when I was a deacon as well. So for someone who was trying to commit to that, I absolutely saw a very, very stark difference between Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, which had no positive message. Zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. All right. It, that, that kind of a movie might work with a character like Batman, maybe, or somebody like that. Not for not for the, the, the Justice League or for Superman, of course, too. When when they took a left turn with Wonder Woman, because everyone was saying we want more positivity. And now it's in this movie as well. To me, you saw the difference in those two things. So I think that hope and inspiration are very, very powerful messages, yes. no matter what time period you live in. You know, whether it's World War II times when a lot of these heroes were created, whether it's, you know, Vietnam or whatever point in the country's history, there's always going to be a need for a positive message. There's there's always going to be a need for hope, you know, and hope is very, very powerful. And, you know, hope is what has conveyed the Christian message for so many millennia now, for so many centuries. Um, it's mentioned specifically by Paul. It's mentioned specifically by saints, you know, the hope in the resurrection, the hope of eternal life, um, the, the rejoicing in the good news. These are wonderful, wonderful things that change lives, and it's really fantastic to see. So to see a movie um, capture 
the spirit of hope, obviously on a very, very small scale, I'm not to say that these two things are, are on the same level at all. Our faith in, you know, our faith in God is one thing and, and going and watching a, a fun movie is totally different, but obviously. But even so, the movie definitely conveyed the power of hope. And I appreciated that a great deal. And I enjoyed that a great deal. In fact, it left me, you know, even though um, I didn't think the movie was, you know, um, a movie that I'm probably going to, I might buy it if I find it at Target for five bucks or something, but, you know, I'm not going to go watch it over and over again. But I will tell you that it left me really hungering for now, now that they figured it out, it left me hoping that they're going to um, eventually put together a Man of Steel 2 or, or a different take yeah. on Superman with Henry Cavill again, because I think they finally got it right this time. Well, I and think, I think it's very it's very important. I think that lighthearted tease at the end with the Flash and their to do with the race shows that, that <laughs> old-style Superman. But I also, I really, th- um, there are two parts of the film where you're talking about hope, where it's actually uh, Bruce Wayne brings up to... Um, uh, Diana, when they're in the, the the back cave area, and he's saying, you know, who who are you to lecture me when you hide behind what you're trying to actually promote? Like you haven't come out fully yet and re reinstated yourself, you know. And I think she was she realizes that and says to Cyborg when he's trying to figure out who he is that you know I, I shut myself off for many years because she lost someone close to her. But then she started realizing that life must go on and that that hope uh, continues and you must move on and be an example for others. And, you know, you you know, that's where that idea of team comes into play, where you're Alfred says good team. And then at the end, you hear Lois Lane walking and she's talking about darkness and how, you know, what is darkness really? And how do we come out from the darkness into the light? So, yeah, I think it was more of like a rebirth so to speak, and um, you know, if if you you could look at it as you know, uh, they resurrected Superman. You know, they there was a resurrection quality there. Absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, we and the fans and the audiences are are the better for it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, I hope they will take that path to bring more uh, lightheartedness. I, you know, this is where I think. Marvel appeals to so many people across the board because I think in in actuality, outside, you know, perhaps certain hardcore comic fans, if if they like the Dark Knight Returns or they like the the darker aspect of the comics with Superman, that's one thing. But if you're if you're trying to um, gear it towards the the mainstream population. They don't want to go into a theater and come out feeling worse than they walked in. Usually, they they you know I think moviegoers mostly do you know want to go in and get some inspiration. What other whether whatever genre it may be. I just we just went to see Wonder with Dean, and uh, he's really infatuated with this boy's story. Even though the boy in the movie is fictitious and it's a boy with makeup, it's based on a true character, uh, a true life boy that has this disease where uh, he was born without cheekbones. So they had to do many surgeries. So it left him somewhat disfigured. And it's his story of how he was homeschooled for years. And he, at around his middle school age, they put him into a preparatory school and how he had to overcome, you know, the, the children around him and how. One child befriended him, and the story of how others did and how he overcame. So, I mean, 
it's definitely a tearjerker. <laughs> um, but it's it's a good it's a good um, uh, movie, not just for what the subject matter is about, but it shows I think uh, how people come overcome their um, you know handicaps and, and move together and work together. Yeah, and you know, again, it sounds like it's um, you know it's it's thought provoking. It might be a tearjerker, but again, hope is a theme. You know, exactly. trying to overcome darkness is a theme, and that's that's what's so important. You know, to remember in our world today, I believe, and for for everybody listening, I think that um, just to remember that we are never alone. Um, that that God has overcome already all challenges that we may face, because if we do believe that Jesus was like us in every respect, he already went through these things too. So, you know, just to know that God understands and God is always with us and um, something very, very important to, to never forget. Never forget. Absolutely. Okay, now we are at towards the end of the show and we are actually going to talk about uh, trivia. We have Father Nico and Chris uh, throwing some trivia questions towards one another. So I'm going to actually throw this in Father's ball court for the first one let's see what he throws at me go for it okay um who was the very first quarterback for the seattle seahawks and what year did he start please you call this trivia <laughs> that was that was jim zorn and he started in 76 oh my goodness well okay <laughs> um what was the super bowl number uh, and what was the team they defeated when the Seattle Seahawks won the only Super Bowl they won? Can I just say that I am absolutely thrilled that that is even a question now. I went my entire life for the first 30 <laughs> years without any championships in any Seattle sports team, and I'm a big fan that that's even a trivia question. They won Super Bowl 48, and they defeated the Denver Broncos by a score of 43-8. to eight. Oh, wow, you even gave me the score. Um, well, you know. Wow. Okay, great. And then I have, what was, who was voted the most valuable player of that game? Um, you know, that's a phenomenal question. I had to do a think there for a little bit. It was actually Malcolm Smith, who's no longer with the team, um, because he had a an interception return for a touchdown from the linebacker position, which is kind of rare, and also a fumble recovery in that game. But in reality, he was a, he was a reflection of the entire defense as a whole unit, and uh he even said as much in his acceptance speech. Very so, good. Well, let's good, see. Good this topic. is actually, let's see if you know, this is kind of along the lines of a comic question. Like, you, you mentioned who he was, Malcolm Smith. But do you know his middle name, which is actually a comic book character's name? I do not. His middle name is Xavier. As no way. Professor Charles Xavier. <laughs> So you know I what? He just became he just became about ten times cooler now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some trivia. I have some trivia too. Okay. And uh, I'm glad we're doing this segment at the end of every episode. So just so everybody knows, um, Chris and I uh, email each other beforehand and say, okay, what topic do you want me to pick? We pick a topic unrelated to comics that we both love, and um, <clears throat> uh, we just we just throw it at each other at the end of the episode just for some indifference. So. Obviously, as everyone uh, is aware, Chris is um, originally from the Philadelphia area, Jersey, Philadelphia. So he said, feel free to throw some Philadelphia Phillies questions at me. So I actually went on the Philadelphia Phillies Wikipedia page today, Chris, okay. and I saw 
that uh, there were a lot of fun facts there that I didn't know, and you might know. I'm not sure, but um, we'll see. <laughs> so we'll see. So first question: What was the name of the Philadelphia Phillies before they were called the Philadelphia Phillies? Oh, they were called. Oh boy, uh, I know this. I know this. Um, I, my mind's blanking. Um, they were called the Quakers, weren't they? They were the Philadelphia Quakers. Okay, I, I I knew it was something like that. And by the way, for everyone listening, the Philadelphia Phillies were named the Philadelphia Phillies in 1883. So they were oh, the wow. Quakers before 1883. So that's pretty impressive knowledge, Chris. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know how I remember this? Because we were looking at a school for Dean, uh, local here. In, it's a Westfield Friends Quaker school. Uh, it's called Westfield Friends. It's been around since the Swedes and populated southern New Jersey, uh, like in the 1800s. And I remember seeing on the wall there an old picture of the Philadelphia Phillies with the term Quaker underneath. So I think that's what juggled the memory a little bit. Yeah. If you if you didn't if you had needed a hint and you couldn't remember, I would have said think oatmeal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so my second question, um, which is actually I guess two questions, but the second one let's say is a bonus. You get extra points if you get this one. Okay. Um, first of all, how many times has Philly won the World Series? And extra points if you can tell me the years. Oh boy. Um, how many times have they won the World Series? Um, oh my goodness. I want to say... Mm, Are you looking two. at your phone? No, no. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm looking at the You're stop. Like, mm, I'm looking at the I stopwatch here. For a, for a few minutes here. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Uh, you're right. They won it twice. They won I it thought twice. they, for some reason, I thought they won it three, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe well, the Quakers I, won one or something. Or actually, you know, the the Oakland A's, which are the local team here, used to be the Philadelphia Athletics. Yeah. So they had two teams at a time. Maybe the A's uh, won it a couple times as Philadelphia right. Athletics. So I don't know. Well, I do know the years that. because the 1980 okay. baseball team was my favorite team that had, um, oh God, uh, Mike Schmidt, Mike stuff. Schmidt, Pete Rose. Um, Lazinski, uh, Bake McBride. Oh, that's my phone's uh, looking it up. Um, <laughs> um, what else? Uh, who else? Um, yeah, so Manny Trio. God, yeah. So that was 1980, and they played the Kansas City Royals and beat them. And uh, and the other I know very well uh, is 2008. We were mm-hmm. at dance class practicing for our wedding uh, coming up in November. Uh, we took a, da- a ballroom dance class, Jan and I, and they won 2008. I think it was the Tampa Bay Rays, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Very good. Yep. So that was a great team to watch too. That was that was fun for me just as a baseball fan. Yeah, absolutely. They had, they had a great lineup that year. It's too bad they lost the following year because because I would have loved to see Cliff Lee get a ring, but that's all right. I know. Me too. Yeah. Now we're getting to it. Now we're getting really into baseball. We probably probably half the half the audience has probably turned their turned their podcast off. <laughs> I have okay, to put question. what I'll do is I'll have sure to put the... my brother on here for the football because he's like an Eagles 
nut. So, I mean, he would, he would know anything you asked. So, <laughs> but go ahead. Next question. Next time, next time we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a guest for the trivia section. Sounds good. Um, so, uh, obviously the Phillies play in citizens bank ballpark now, yes. which prior to that was called veteran stadium, as you know, very well. And if yeah. I'm mistaken, I think the Eagles and Phillies played at the veteran stadium. That's correct. That... Before they okay. tore it down. What was the name of their stadium prior to being called veteran stadium? Connie Mack. Connie Mack Stadium. Yep. Very good. Yep. We were each three for three. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to get a little more challenging. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you know, we should we should keep score for every season of this podcast and say, okay, we're we're both at three to three right now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll really completely keep miss it the competitive. Point about theology in our faith. No, I'm just joking. Anyway. Well, good stuff, my friend, as always. As always, and that wraps it up for episode two with Father Nico Beckers and Chris Kitsakis. Creative Blessings. Thanks, everybody. God bless.